Welcome, everyone. We're glad that you are with us. We are on week six of the Bible Study Podcast, where we are looking at Exodus 19 through 24. And we are moving out of the action and into the, well, that's not quite right. All right, so, (laughs) and we are moving into a new section in Exodus, and from Exodus 19 all the way till Numbers 10, we're going to be at Mount Sinai. So there's been a lot of action up until this point, and the pace is going to slow, and we're going to be at Sinai. And it's really important to understand if you're going to appreciate, because our goal is to delight in the law. We Mm want to love it. We want to experience and see uh, the God we love and worship through it. But if you're going to do that, you have to understand the type of, in essence, book you're now reading. (laughs) So it's no longer fast-paced action novel. It's, there's different genres. So I'm going to give you three genres that might help you think about what you're reading. So let's talk okay. about recipe books. <laughs> let's talk about dangerous machinery operating manuals. Okay. And let's talk about Shakespeare plays. Okay. We'll okay. Get to, we'll get to number three. For sure. Okay. All right. So let's talk <laughs> about those three. So, but there's still lots going on though. It's just different type of. Correct. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's just a different type of action. And so our question is, how do you engage with different types of reading material? So let's talk about recipe books. Okay. One of your favorites, I know. <laughs> so most people don't have... He's picking on me, guys. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh, the world's best cook. Okay, most people don't have recipe <laughs> books just on their nightstand where they'll read just for enjoyment. But, I mean, some people do. Like, I, can, I, I bet, I, I bet don't. you don't. I bet Bama does. I bet she's got I some recipes. she does. Sweet Bama. And um, so when you have a recipe, like, how do you know you're faithfully engaging with the recipe book? If you're making what's in it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, um, yeah. If you're making what's in it, <laughs> the faithful engagement means you're practicing practicing the recipe. You're, you're following the recipes. Mm-hmm. It's in the eating. You know you're following it by eating the recipe. The and so is literally in the pudding. That's where that lovely <laughs> phrase comes from. And now one way you know, let's see, this is a not a marital dispute. That's too dramatic. Oh, but no. one, one conversation we have often is especially when you're making things like cinnamon rolls, <laughs> what is my admonition to you don't skimp on the butter (laughs) follow the recipe (laughs) follow the because you will see how much like you know it requires eight cups of butter (laughs) and you'll be morally offended by how much butter is actually and you'll try and substitute it with like applesauce or something And most of the time, it just doesn't work. It doesn't. Follow the recipe. So you you know you're faithfully engaging with the text by following the the Mm -hmm. recipe. So uh, this section, that's one metaphor that can help you think about this section. Um, The Lord is giving us the recipe for a just and holy society. And the way we know we're faithfully engaging with is how are we living it out. Um, Same thing with, uh, I think, Shakespeare plays. You know, you're in 10th grade, and it's the most dreadful thing imaginable is where you have to sit and just read these things in this language. You have no idea even what they're saying and have no context. You don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually go and watch a Shakespeare play performed by Mm -hmm. skilled actors, 
it comes alive in a way you couldn't imagine by just reading it on the on the page. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way it comes alive is in the lived performance. Mm-hmm. Same thing here. The way this section comes alive is in the lived performance. It needs to be performed, not just read. And now think about an operations manual for dangerous machinery. Have you ever operated any dangerous machinery in your life? Oh, I don't think so, other than a car. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I have either, other than a car. I mean, it is something that... Have you ever thought about how odd it is yes. that we entrust our life to this two-ton hunk of metal that's being propelled forward by an internal explosion? <laughs> well, what could go wrong? <laughs> um, but I would imagine if part of your job was to operate like dangerous machinery for a living, you would be very intentional and careful in following along the proper procedure. Because life's at stake. Mm -hmm. And so like when we get to Leviticus, and remember one of my goals is to rehabilitate a love for Leviticus. (laughs) And when we get to Leviticus, remember we're... Got your work cut out for you. Well, you hang (laughs) on and see. Because this is the priestly operating manual for how the priests are supposed to conduct their business. And remember, they're dealing with wholly dangerous things. Mm -hmm. Remember, uh, the first priest... Adab and Abihu, when they first offer the sacrifice, they don't pay attention to the manual right off the beginning, and they die. Mm -hmm. Or you think about Uzziah and David when he's going to bring the ark from its location to establish it in Jerusalem, and then Uzziah reaches it, it wobbles, he reaches out and touches it, and he dies. And you read in Chronicles why. It's because they did not obey the Levitical command for how the ark was going to be handled. And so when we're reading this, um, these things might sound boring to us because we don't have the risk of dying if we don't follow them exactly. And part of that's God's mercy. I mean, someone else died in our place because Mm -hmm. we can't follow them exactly. Mm -hmm. But as you're reading, remember, you know, these things are like a recipe. Mm -hmm. They, They have to be, or a Shakespeare play, they have to be performed. They have to be lived. And there's three things you need to keep in mind to really have the law come alive. You need to keep in mind God's desire Mm -hmm. and then his core principles to achieve the desire and then specific applications. So what we'll see as we go through, what's uh, desire, core principle, specific application. And something else to think about as we move through the law. You know, the law is God. Law isn't even the best translation. Torah is instruction, fatherly instruction to his children um, and his desire is to, for us to have the fullness of life, a relationship of loving obedience to him. And this is him teaching us his will for our lives. And in doing so, he's revealing his character, what he cares about, what he loves. I love J.I. Packer puts it this way. He says, in God's law, or God's law is distilled to us in the Ten Commandments. And then it's displayed to us in the life of Christ. And both of those demonstrate for us um, what it means to love and to live out the law. So let's hit a couple of the highlights that can help people appreciate this section of Scripture. Okay. So starting in verse uh, chapter 19, we're mm-hmm. moving to a new section. Notice in verse 1, it says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out, so three months. Mm-hmm. They've been traveling. And then you come, look at verse 6. Okay. Or start in verse 5. Okay. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You could really chart a course through the whole Bible through about 8 to 12 just seminal verses. So, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, tells the whole story. Then... Um, God called Abraham and blessed him and said, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's key verse. Actually, Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6 is another one of those key verses. This is, the, in essence, the great commission for Israel. Mm-hmm. And so you actually could put that as a banner over the whole Old Testament and ask, how are they doing? This is their commission and their calling. But notice it begins that God's desire is that they will be his treasured possession. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want you to be my treasured possession And in order for you to do that, you have to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the distillation of the law. That's how Jesus sums it up. But then notice what he says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's a little jarring. So You're the grammar expert, but there's two nouns, so priest and nations. But it's almost like the adjectives don't go with the nouns. Like you have a kingdom that's a nation. That makes sense. Nation is a kingdom. And you have priests who can be holy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it seems like did they get jumbled? Like was God just confused? And he says, well, actually, you mix, mixed up those words. Uh, are they just jumbled and is he confused? Or it's a kingdom of priests. So kingdom, you have a king, rule, reign, realm. But then they're to be priests. So it's really important this whole section or this whole section of scripture is about the establishment of the priesthood both formal and informal the formal priesthood are the people who usher us into God's presence the informal priesthood is what it means to be God's people in his world we're a people of the presence we enter his presence and then we bring others into his presence then we bring his presence where we go kingdom of priests but then a nation that's holy set apart different a unique people with a unique calling. So that's a banner you can f- wave over the whole Old Testament. How are they doing living up to this calling? Now, then they move into the mountain, and notice they've come to Mount Sinai, but this is not the first time we've been here at Mount Sinai in Exodus. Mm-hmm. Remember when else we've been here? Mm-hmm. The burning bush. Yeah, well, it's what we call it. It's Mount Horeb. So it's the same location. And remember, Moses comes to Mount Horeb, and... How does he encounter God? Through a burning bush. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. (laughs) And then now the whole nation, now we won't read the whole thing, but some definitely read, because now the whole nation encounters God, but it's not through a burning bush. Now the whole mountain is on fire. Their natural response is one of... (laughs) Terror. Terror. They're terrified. (laughs) And, um, And so notice as you're reading through... The requirements for the Lord to, for the whole goal is that they enter into his presence. So you're asking yourself, what is required for us to enter into his presence? They have to be consecrated. They have to be set apart. They have to be clean. Then they have to come in. And in chapter 20, you're moving in, and here's the, the Ten Commandments. Now, what's interesting is there, here's a little FYI Bible trivia. They're not actually ever called the Ten Commandments in the Bible. They're just called the words. And then given the ten words, these are ten words. Now, it's interesting. These are unmediated words from God to the people. 
So almost every other time that God speaks throughout the Old Testament comes mediated, meaning there's uh, someone or something that mediates uh, the word. So you think about like the word media. All media are different mediums that messages come to us. So newspaper is a media where the news comes through the medium of newspaper, uh, television, you know, all, all social media. It's all messages come through a type of media. And it's really important to think about how the media affects and shapes the message. Mm-hmm. And so all throughout, there's the message of the Lord comes through certain media. So it comes through dreams sometimes, comes through prophets sometimes, comes through Moses, comes through these different things. Here's one of the few places that it comes directly from the speech of the Lord himself. Now, I don't quite know what to make of this, but it sure is interesting. This isn't the first time that 10 direct words have come from the Lord himself. Care to offer a guess or when? The last time 10 words came directly from the Lord? Was it creation? Yeah, Genesis 1. And the Lord said 10 different times, the Lord said. So it's interesting. Creation, the 10 words here establishing the covenant. Or maybe this is a type of new creation where 10 new words, now they come directly from the Lord uh, to the people. And doesn't 10 symbolize completion? Completion, whole, total, yep. Uh-huh. Um, a couple of just unique things about the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. There, now I often joke that if you really want to understand portions of the New Testament, you need a Southern translation. You need to get the y'all. There's so much you just don't get if you ain't got the y'all. And because so many of the yous are you all, plural. you plural, mm-hmm. their community. Um, now here, the entire nation is at the foot of the mountain, and the Lord is speaking directly to the entire nation. And then all of the, you know, the King James gives us the thou, <laughs> thou shalt not. But all of those thous, yous, are not you alls. They're you singulars. Hmm. They're you. Now, why do you think that matters? Or what do you think the Lord is trying to tell us with that? He's speaking personally to his people. Yeah, it's, it's a personal word for every single person. So you can't advocate your responsibility. You can't say, oh, well, not married. That doesn't apply to me. Or, oh, well, you know, I'm not a priest. I don't have to worry. I'm not an image carver. I don't sculpt things. So that doesn't apply to me. No, yeah. Every single one is. And the only way that you can have a holy society is you have holy people. And so he's saying you have to take ownership and responsibility for all of these, every single individual. So in the Hebrew, if you were to be reading this, or if they were listening to this be spoken, that would be clear to them. This is the personal you, not the uh, plural. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and then as you're reading through the, the commandments, really note what commandments get the most, I was about to say ink, but remember mm. they weren't ink. <laughs> so how does God deliver these? Mm. They get chiseled on stone. Mm-hmm. Now... I have a tendency to talk kind of fast. Can you? But I type terribly slow. How fast can you type? I don't actually. I used to know this. I used to know how many words per minute I typed. I took a 
oh, typing class Mar- in ninth grade. Well, did you take Marvis Beacon? Wasn't that her name? Marvis Beacon. Know. You know that lady? She's actually not a real person. She completely fabricated. But all the I don't typing. Even know who you're talking oh, about. Oh, word. <laughs> don't even know. Okay. Well, we'll let the listener understand. But there's, uh, you know, some people type. I don't know. I type like twelve words a minute. Some people type a <laughs> hundred. I I don't know. But how fast you can type. But this is not. So the media, the medium that is coming. God is chiseling these on stone. Now, I don't know how quick you can chisel, but <laughs> I imagine you only chisel the things that are most important to you. <laughs> and so you're looking and you're like, all right, why did these certain commands get a whole lot of chisel time? <laughs> and then what, remember, all the commands reveal something about the heart of the Father. So what is it revealing about his heart? All right, so for example, like number two, why so much chisel time on don't make images? What does that mean? No images of false gods. Well, they've just come from Egypt. I'm sure that there are graven images of Pharaoh everywhere. Pharaoh and the different gods, these images so tempting to um, look at those longingly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, you don't really have to tell somebody, don't put up pictures of your ex-boyfriend <laughs> friends <laughs> throughout your house. Uh-huh. You know, we don't have any pictures of our ex-boyfriends or girlfriends <laughs> throughout our house. Just us. What would you think if you walked into somebody's house and they had all these pictures of their ex? <laughs> think, hmm, something, something's wrong here. Something's a little off here. And that's exactly it. Don't, don't create these images of these false gods or these gods that you used to worship that oppressed you. Right. Um, and then the Sabbath gets a lot of chisel time. Because that, mm-hmm. that matters. And then notice how intentional God is to reiterate that it's not just for you. It's for your sons, your daughters, your servants, your male servants, female servants, even your animals. Everybody gets a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I care about all of them. Mm-hmm. You can't just, you as the head of the household can't just take on this responsibility and say, oh, I'm obeying, but I'm going to dictate that everybody else under me has to mm-hmm. keep slaving away. It's it's about a total mm-hmm. He cares about the dependent. Mm-hmm. It's one of the themes we'll see over and over. He cares about the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of chisel time on coveting. And so that's really important. Um, I think it's important when you're looking at the commands to keep in mind the way Jesus um, summarizes them, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the commands are actually going to unpack and start to put principles or flesh on those realities. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some historical debate about how you break them up. Everybody sees the Ten Commandments as two tables. Love God, love your neighbor, and how, how those work. Um, there is some debate about whether command the first four are love God, and then neighbor start five and on, or because I like things symmetrical. <laughs> I'm of the persuasion that the first five are love God vertically oriented and then the second five are horizontally oriented and that honor your father and your mother is is under the category of honoring and loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, honoring these social and authority structures that he's placed you in. But Almost like a hinge commandment that's connecting the it first is. half yep. and then the second uh, half. Yeah. yeah, I think it is. I think it is that hinge. It, it's getting into both and showing... Um, Remember, the Ten Commandments are universal, so they come. Actually, that's an interesting point to think about why God gave them these laws now before they entered into the land. Mm-hmm. And the you know, the ancient Jewish rabbinical interpretation 
was to show Israel that these are commands not just for their specific location, that they're universal okay. for the whole world. Um, now, also note as you're reading through, the only they're not all in the negative. So it's not all thou shalt not. Mm-hmm. There are two that are positive. Mm-hmm. And the two that are positive are Sabbath and honoring your, your father and mother. Mm. And so both of those get an extended treatment. Um, and, you know, think about just the advantage of commands of negation can clear up a whole lot of confusion and just eliminate all types of decisions. Mm. So, for example, if you are a vegetarian, you don't eat meat. So then you say, oh, well, do you eat hot dogs? Do you eat chicken wings? Do you eat bacon? Do you eat? No, 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 no. You, you don't eat meat. That covers all of the questions. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these, you know, oh, we're, we're these people. Are we allowed to worship Baal? Can we worship Marduk? Can we worship, you know, Ra? No, 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 no idols. And mm-hmm. so it, it covers the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. So a couple things that are really important to keep in mind as you're reading both the Ten Commandments and then the whole rest of the section, all the way through Deuteronomy. Um, remember, God's desire top mm-hmm. desire is that you will be my treasured people, my treasured possession. Mm-hmm. And Jesus sums it up. The, the God's desire is that we love him with all our heart, mind, and soul and strength. We worship, and then we love our neighbors as ourselves. And that creates a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Mm-hmm. And then the principles he's going to give to how we do that is to love him with all our heart is worship. And the way we do that is we worship in the way that he tells us that he prescribes. He's going to tell us how we are to worship him. And then the way we love our neighbors ourselves is we express the same grace we've experienced. Mm-hmm. So and and so that um, and so if you can keep those things in mind, it will really help you unravel so many of the specific applications as we're reading through that could be a little little jarring. Mhm. So as you were reading through this section, was there anything that just kind of jumped out at you as you were reading? You think, wow, that's that's kind of odd. Yeah. So I was I was reflecting upon, okay, so out of the Ten Commandments, we're going straight into all of these laws. And so, and I know that the Bible is intentional and some of these just seem kind of bizarre. And so help us make sense of um, just, yeah, what's going on with these laws? Uh-huh. Well, often when you hear some that are just kind of strange, you want to look out and your first dis- disposition should be, oh, that's strange. I wonder what I don't understand right, about this right. context. I know we're operating in such a different time, such a different culture. Things are going to seem bizarre that might not have been bizarre at all uh-huh. know, in that culture. Uh-huh. So, But the things you want to remember, you want to remember you're, the law is constantly oscillating between the two tables constantly weaving back and forth between loving the Lord your God in worship. So there'll be things about sacrifice, idolatry, um, Canaanite worship, don't do that. And then loving your neighbor as yourself. So how mm-hmm. you create a society that's mm-hmm. just and righteous and mm-hmm. all of these things. Um, and what you'll see, actually there's a lot of scholars who have spent a lot of work trying to show, especially in Deuteronomy, but also in Exodus, how all the laws they unpack with specific applications are mm-hmm. a progression from the Ten Commandments. So it starts with one, then moves two and three. And I would love it if it was so much neater. <laughs> it's there. You can see it. It's it's unpacking all of these ten. It's it's putting them in specific um, applications, but it's so messy. Mm. So the laws don't follow neatly commandment one, commandment two, commandment three. No, they, they intermingle all of them. 
And I think the reason why the Lord does that is not because he can't write orderly, but it's because Mm -hmm. life is messy. Mm -hmm. And you can't just dissect these like, all right, on month January, we're going to focus on commandment one, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to nail it. And then in February, we're going to move to commandment two, and Mm -hmm. we're going to nail it. And no, they all intermingle. Mm -hmm. You're constant. Everything you're doing that is God word also affects how you treat others Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it's always intermingling. And so as you're reading through and some of the things, like even as you're reading, like in, and he goes right into chapter 21, and he talks about laws about slaves. That can really disorient us. Mm-hmm. So I say, all right, what's at the heart here? Mm-hmm. And actually what there's things here that reveal a tremendous care and concern for mm-hmm. the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So when you're reading laws about um, how other people are to be treated, mm-hmm. like one of the things I would recommend marking every time you come across the, the phrase, for you were once slaves in Egypt, or for you were once sojourners in Egypt. Because mm-hmm. that's giving you that principle that's to shape all the different applications. Yeah. So the principle is that you should treat others the way God has treated you. Mm-hmm. You express what you've experienced. And remember, you were a slave in Egypt. This is why you don't do these things, because you remember what it was like to be oppressed and to be um, in this situation. Mm-hmm. It's trying to foster a heart of compassion and remembrance mm-hmm. in them. Uh-huh. I love how these laws, they really do reveal God's character. Mm-hmm. And he's a compassionate, loving father. And so I love how he, right after giving us the Ten Commandments, he goes right into laws about worshiping him and then directly into these laws about slaves and laws about restitution. Uh, he cares about He cares about protecting the vulnerable Mm -hmm. and the weakest of the Mm -hmm. society. Our God brings up the lowly. And it's hard for us because we have over 3,000 years of this seeping into the soil of our society. And it's really hard for us to conceptualize how radical these things were in this world. Mm -hmm. And I think a mistake that we can do as... Um, such a Western culture. We don't like laws because they're so restricting and they, they put boundaries around us. But um, I'm just trying to put myself in their place. Like they've just been under such a an oppressive dictator that's been unjust and unloving to them in, you know, in, in Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, but then they're given this God who cares about the vulnerable. And so all of these laws are actually to protect and lift up and to care for them. And so he's probably endearing them to himself, not like, you know, pushing them away by giving them all these laws that they're probably receiving these and they're blown away that these laws are actually protecting them and loving them well. Yeah, and that's it's a good point, and it, it's important to think about the context of how, so the Ten Commandments come directly from the Lord to the people. Mm-hmm. And then, but then that experience of the direct voice of the Lord terrifies them and they're afraid that they're going to die. And so they then send Moses up. And then now the progression becomes, remember, that's why chapter 18 is so important because Moses established the elders mm-hmm. and his job is to teach them. And so God's going to speak to Moses. Moses will tell these things to the elders and then it's their job to then execute them. So this is, God gives the recipe to Moses. Moses passes on to the elders, and then the elders' job is to cook the meal so that people can experience the fellowship with the Lord and one another. Okay. And so it's their job to engage and internalize these. And so many of these are 
illustrations that they're supposed to internalize the fundamental principles so they can live out. Hmm. So, I mean, the idea is not when, so when he starts talking about how important it is, like if you're, if somebody has an ox and they don't take care of it and it goads someone and then here's the things you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. The elders aren't, if it happens that somebody has a boar and the boar does it and they say, well, it was a boar, not an ox, doesn't apply. Well, no, you're supposed, they're supposed to do the hard work of internalizing the principles so they yeah. can have wise application. Right, right. Another thing I love about the laws that are being laid out, the next kind of section of laws is laws about restitution. And so just, it, uh, again, points to God's character and how he loves to be reconciled with his people and his people to one another. And so as you're moving through, through these laws, think about how, what is the Lord trying to establish with in the culture, in the society? I mean, mm-hmm. you move like in chapter 23, it moves into laws and how you use your time. Mm-hmm. And, um, Six years, and then the seventh year is a Sabbath, and then six days, and then the seventh day is a Sabbath, and then three times a year, a full week, where you come and you experience these festivals to the Lord. And so it's establishing rhythms mm-hmm. of time, of work, and key in on the dynamic bet- between what the Lord will do and what mm-hmm. he commands his people to do. Yeah. Like, notice how often he says, pay attention mm-hmm. to all that I've said to you. Mm-hmm. Listen. And then you will obey my voice and you will do this and then I will do that. Yeah. So like in verse or chapter twenty three, you know, you will enter into the into Canaan and you will not bow down to them. You do not do as they do, mm-hmm. or I will overthrow them, and then uh, you do not worship them this way, mm-hmm. and then here's what I will do. Yeah. I love that. And just like you were saying with God establishing new creations and new laws, he's establishing these new patterns for his people and this new relationship between him and his people. There's over and over again in this last last section of chapter 23, there's this back and forth of what God will do and how the Israelites are to obey in response to that. So he's setting up this pattern in the Old Testament. It's going to be carried out throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament when we have Christ, he's this fulfillment of what God is going to do. And Mm -hmm. so in the New Testament, we can say God did um, all of this, and he said, I will do, and then Christ did it. Mm -hmm. And so in the New Testament, we can almost replace this pattern with um, God God did, and now I will obey in response to that. So in the Old Testament, God will, God will, God will, and then it's fulfilled in Christ— and the natural response is always to just burst forth in joyful obedience because of what God has done on our behalf. So I love this pattern that's established here of God will do, and the Israelites are to obey in response to that. Mm-hmm. Yep, so you see the law is God's will distilled, Ten Commandments distilled, and then in Christ is displayed mm. fully. So those are a couple things that can help you. Uh, appreciate and love the law. You're looking for how it reveals the heart of the Father, His desire, and these different principles um, as they are worked out in both worship and then and in a loving society. And then you come across when you come across things that are strange, like uh, "Thou shalt not boil a young goat in its mother's milk." <laughs> you're looking. All right, what context is that in? It's actually in the context. That's actually in the worship context. You're going into Canaan. Don't worship the way they do. This is a common worship practice, and there's reasons you don't worship your God that way. Mm. So it's, it's like the recipe. Don't boil 
the young goat in its mother's milk and don't leave the butter out of the cinnamon rolls. <laughs> if, if it says eight cups of butter, follow the recipe. <laughs> Boom, full circle. We've come full circle. <laughs> Good closure. So with that, we will sign off and we will head upstairs and... Go make some cinnamon rolls. All right. With lots of butter. <laughs> Extra butter. Y'all have a great week. <laughs>